Tonight, we're going to look at Judges chapter 3, verse 31. It's just one verse. Um, it's Friday. It's the end of a long week. Eight o'clock is like when I'm winding down. You guys are like, teach. I'm like, ooh, okay. So tomorrow we're going to get into a little bit about finding rest in Jesus and what that looks like. If you want to get extra credit and a head start on that tonight, you can go ahead and get a little rest. While I'm teaching, I will not be offended. But we're in Judges, like I said, chapter 3. i got to get there, maybe? Yeah, I marked it. There we go. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. And we're going to see a man named Shamgar. And I thought no better way to start off a men's retreat than with a dude who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat, right? Um, if you don't know what an ox goat is, or if you've never really heard of Shamgar, then that's kind of the point. We've got an obscure man here with an obscure weapon. So if you're not there yet, it's all right. We'll do a little exercise in obscurity. Can anyone here without Google or your phone, without asking your neighbor, can anyone here tell me who played second base for the New York Yankees for 11 years, five-time Golden Glove? You're rolling your eyes right now. Uh, five-time Golden Glove, three-time world champ, one-time World Series MVP, and eight-time All-Star. Does anybody know? Bobby Richardson. Thanks, Granddad. (laughs) (laughs) I did not share any notes with him. He's just a smart guy. Yeah, so who here has heard of Bobby Richardson? Now, I mean, for the most part, you you knew him? (laughs) So for the most part, he's a pretty obscure guy, right? Most of us here, the majority of the people without maybe two, didn't know who Bobby Richardson. But I mean, the guy had a resume, right? 11 years at the New York Yankees, five-time Golden Glove. Um, and with that kind of resume and still being a pretty obscure guy, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go down in obscurity, right? You know, I'm not really going to. My moment to play for the Yankees has passed, so sadly. But tonight we're going to look at Shamgar. And he's a judge who, in comparison to like Gideon and Samson, is really, there's little know about him. I've asked a couple guys like, have you heard of Shamgar? And they're like, I think I should, but I'm not sure. He's an obscure man, and the entirety of his judgeship, his life's work, is reduced down to one summary verse in the Bible, just a blurb that is easily and often overlooked. And I don't know about you, but as a man and as a disciple, I often and easily feel overlooked. I can, I can feel overlooked by some of my peers, a lot of my friends I was high school and college with, they've moved on and they're advancing in their careers and moving up the ladder. And I talk with them and they're like, so what are you doing, Eric? I'm like, oh, I wrote a book. (laughs) Uh, And so I can feel overlooked by them sometimes. They're doing big things. I can feel overlooked at home, you know, do a lot for the kids and kind of feel overlooked by them. Even with a spouse, we do a lot for our wives. And at times, we might feel a little overlooked there. I also feel, as a disciple, sometimes overlooked by God. Kind of thought, like, like J.B. said, went to seminary, gung-ho, had all these plans. Going to change the world, me and Jesus. And then he had different plans. And you kind of feel like, I thought we were going to do something big. And it didn't turn out. And so you, there's been times where I've struggled 
in my walk, in my faith as a disciple, where I feel like kind of cast aside, like God saw someone better. I was like, never mind, we'll go over here. And so I've felt overlooked. And I don't know if this is connecting with any of you, but at least, you know, you got a stake out of the deal. So let's look at verse 31. It says, After him came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. So, as we start, I don't know what stands out to you, observation, but we're going to start with the word also. Also is a connective conjunction, so the author is connecting Shamgar to someone. And so we need to ask, who is he connecting him to? And so we go back to the beginning of the verse, and it says, after him came Shamgar. And the him here is Ehud. Ehud is the judge immediately before Shamgar. And so now we're asking, okay, Ehud saved Israel. He's a judge. What is the author doing with Shamgar through Ehud's story? He's connected these two. So let's jump over to verse 15, and we'll see the beginning of Ehud. Verse 15. But when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. So Ehud, son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The name Ehud is connected to the word unite. So, I mean, no better name, right? You got God raising up a judge. His name kind of means unite. Ehud, the uniter, right? That's pretty cool. If I were a judge, I would want a cool name. So we got Ehud, the uniter. And, and names in the Bible function differently at different times. So there's the characteristic at birth, right? So you have Esau, who's born. And Esau's born a hairy guy, right? So there's a wordplay. Hairy in Hebrews, uh, sa'ar. So sa'ar Esau. There's a wordplay there. And then his brother Jacob comes out grabbing at his heel. Well, Jacob is related to the word heel. So we see names are given in the Bible that have to do with characteristics at birth. We also see that names communicate God's message. So Malachi, his, name's, his name means my messenger. So that was a really easy one, right? Um, but also think about Abraham. Abraham was Abram. God came and gave him a promise and renamed him Abraham. And so every time someone was like, yo, Abraham, he heard his name and it communicated back to him the promise that God made. So it communicates God's message and promise at times. And the last one I'll give us, there's other ones, but the last one is names function with the prophetic sense. So we'll just take Jesus. That one's easy. Matthew 1.21, the angel comes to Joseph and says, She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people. Jesus means Savior, and we see that prophetic call in his life. He will save his people. So in Ehud's case, we have a name. He has a name that might signify or communicate to him that his life has some meaning. He's a uniter. He's moving towards Something His life may have felt like it's on trajectory to go somewhere big as a uniter. Some purpose there. But we go on in the verse, it says he's the, uh, the son of Anath, right? I'm sorry, I've jumped ahead. Son of Gera, a Benjamite. So a Benjamite, tribe of Benjamin, right? So Benjamin means son of the right hand. That's a position of honor. At the right hand, always in the Bible, 
That's where you want to be, position of honor. Also, he's a part of a tribe. I mean, that's prestigious because you're only a part of a tribe if you're part of God's chosen people. So you're part of a tribe and you're son of the right hand. And then the author does something kind of weird here. He says he's a left-handed man. So in Hebrew, that means he's bound in the right hand. So he's son of the right hand, bound in the right hand. And I think the author's introducing some ambiguity into his story that we're not going to get into tonight. But moving on to verse 16, it says, He, Ehud, made for himself a double-edged sword. And it was 18 cubits. That's like that's a foot and a half. So it's like a buoy knife, a mini sword. Like, it's no joke. And then what follows in the Hebrew is pretty fun with some word plays and associations. Um, we can talk about it later if you're interested in Ehud's story, but uh, for the sake of time, we're going to move on. And so when the story goes on, Ehud kills the Moabite king. He calls in the Calvary, another tribe, Ephraim. And Ephraim were like the Spartans. These guys loved to fight and kill. In fact, in Judges chapter 2, they get mad at a judge, Jephthah, because he did not invite them to come fight the Ammonites, and they're mad about that. But Ehud invites them, so together it says in verse 29, they, Ehud and Ephraim, struck down about 10,000 Moabites. So quickly we see Ehud had a name. His life was moving somewhere. He had purpose, meaning. His life, he may have felt like he's on trajectory to do something big. We see he has a position, prestige, position at the right hand. There's honor there. He had advantages. He had advantages. He made a double-edged sword. So that means he had time. That means he had resources. And that means he had skills. You give me all the time in the world and all the resources, I still cannot make a sword. So he had all three of those. He had advantages. He had connections. He had other tribes he could call on. When the battle's going on, he called in some friends. And we see, lastly, he had big success. He had a 10,000 kill count. So now let's, with all that, now let's look back at Shamgar. Back at 31, Shamgar. No one knows what the name Shamgar means. I think there's some guesses, but no one really knows what Shamgar means, where, what root in the Hebrew. And it says that he's the son of Anath. Anath was a Canaanite god, the god of war for Canaanites. So, and you notice there's no tribe listed here either. It's just son of Anath, tribeless. And so we look at him, he doesn't have a name. He doesn't have a position. There's no prestige. There's no tribe, right? There's no honor. In fact, there's probably a lot of shame. Because what we can tell here is he's tribeless, and his dad's named after a Canaanite god. So there's a great chance that Shamgar was actually a Canaanite who, by the grace of God, put his faith in God and the promises of God and began to worship the true God. And then God used him, obviously, in a great way to deliver God's nation. But there's got to be a lot of shame there, right, coming out of that shady, checkered background of the Canaanites. I mean, they did some wicked stuff. So he has no name, no position. It says he struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And an ox goad was a long stick with a pointer, and you 
poke an ox and make a move. And that was an ox goat. So Ehud has his beautiful, one-of-a-kind, handcrafted mini-sword bowie knife. And then you have Shamgar with a splintery old ox goad. This tells us he probably was at a great disadvantage to his enemies. So no name, no position, no advantages. And he struck down 600 Philistines alone. There's no tribe there. He had no connections No friends to call on when things got tough. Now, the word for struck down or that verb is the same verb back up in 29 that's connected to Ehud. So we see the authors connecting them again. It's called a lexical link. It's the same verb. Ehud struck down 10,000. Shamgar struck down 600. Shamgar is an obscure nobody. The checkered background, questionable reputation, uh, little resources. I had no name, no position, no, can, no advantages. He, a dis- he was at a disadvantage, didn't have connections, and the, the success he had was very little. Just like I said, a nobody rancher with a splintery ox goat. But in spite of it all, in spite of all that he was lacking, Look back at the end of verse 31. And he also saved Israel. You may lack a sense of purpose. I know I have at time. You may feel like your life is not really on trajectory right now to where you want it to go. You might look at other people and think, man, they're killing it. What have I done in comparison? You might not carry around a lot of honor, respect, In fact, you might carry a lot of shame from your past. You may have thought, like me, you were going to get your 10,000, right? And you only got 600. It's nice. But in comparison, it's not that impressive. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Shamgar's one-verse story, his life's work, sacrifice, being reduced down to one summary sentence in the Bible is God's way of emphatically telling us all that what we think we lack as men does not matter. What we think we don't have to contribute, God says it doesn't matter. What matters is your availability to God. What matters is your availability to God. Your life's resume, achievements, the accolades, or the lack thereof don't matter. God wants to use you and me to continue his mission that he started 2,000 plus years ago that has come all the way down to us here tonight, today, in this town. And he wants to use us. So regardless of your skills or your shame, regardless of your achievements or your disappointments, God wants to use you. Um, He wants to use all of us working together somehow to make disciples of our families, to make disciples of our neighbors, to make disciples even of our enemies. Bobby Richardson is not a name of notoriety, as we said. And like those like Mickey Mantle, people will die knowing who the Mick was, right? Almost everybody will be like, oh, you're on your deathbed. Do you know who the Mick was? I know the Mick, yeah. But if you ask them, what about Bobby Richardson? You're like, I think... I think there's a guy at a men's retreat who knew him or something. Um, so Bobby Richardson, regardless of his resume, he's, 
going to go down relatively obscure. No one's going to know his name, but not to God. Because Bobby Richardson would go down in eternity to God as Bobby Richardson, the man who led Mickey Mantle to Christ. And really, what else matters, you know? That's pretty cool. I have to say I'm a shamgar. I'm an obscure dude. I have a questionable background. I was a sinner. I still am a sinner. But I found the grace of God. By that, he saved me. Nothing I did on my own is faith in Christ alone. And I've, by his grace, I'm standing here tonight. And by his grace, hopefully he's using me to do things for him. And where we're going to go in the next couple sessions is I want to share with you two principles of discipleship that God has taught me in some of my lowest darkest and most desolate places in life. Uh, I won't tell you about those places, but they happen. And God taught me a lot of stuff, but I don't have a lot of time with you, so I've really synthesized this down to two major principles that I believe if we can make pillars, if we can take these principles and make pillars of them in our faith, there's nothing that can stop us. It doesn't matter what all you think you lack what all achievements you think you failed at? Does it matter if you feel like nobody knows who you are? God knows, and God wants to use you. So again, tomorrow, we're going to see two principles of discipleship, and I'm going to give you a statement for each one. It's going to be a statement, and these statements are statements that I use to help remember. So there's times where I'm like, with my wife, or with my nine-year-old son, and I think, oh, no, and that principle pops back in my head. I don't want to give it away. So I'm going to teach you guys these two principles tomorrow in our two sessions that hopefully we can build into our Christian life so that we, like Shamgar, like Bobby Richardson, can also be used by God to do great things wherever God has us. Now, this is the time that every introvert hates. This is the time where we're going to get in our groups at our tables, and we're going to go over the questions that are on there. And if we could get just someone who's courageous enough to be facilitator at each table, that would be awesome. So you can see those four questions. There's kind of a generic one to begin with, and then it's kind of more detailed. Do not feel like you have to stick with the script. Wherever the conversation goes, go with it. I know we're guys, and we're kind of guarded at first, but that's okay. We can get over that. It's a safe place. 